Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. everybody, welcome to another episode of this. I'm Samson Folk. This is the podcast where I talk about basketball sometimes and sometimes the intersection of basketball and politics, I guess. And today we're talking, I think, mostly basketball with Kenyon of Basketball Rewind. I've been on his podcast before. He puts out a ton of stuff, um, sometimes with collabor- collaborators, sometimes little video essays. The one on Pascal I thought was phenomenal. He does great work. I enjoy talking basketball with him a ton. Kenyon, you're here to talk hoops with me today, but first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I've been uh, busy with uh, other things, things like studying and whatnot. I'm not going to reveal too much there, but yeah, I've been busy, but it's been a good summer overall. Overall. Yeah. This is is my first summer in Toronto, and uh, it hasn't disappointed. I know know some Torontonians are saying like, hey – you know, the weather hasn't been as good as it usually is. And so they're disappointed with it. But for me, my first summer here, it's been uh, it's been OK. But even even so, I'm about to leave for a little while. And so for the people who are listening to this, if anything seems even remotely outdated, it's because this was recorded I, like probably two weeks prior to its release. And I don't know, God forbid, if Pascal Siakam gets traded, some of the stuff in here <laughs> is going to sound funky. Um, first thing I want to talk about though, I enjoyed my summer and I was looking forward to this summer. I think some people are going to really enjoy this Raptors season. And I'm wondering what are you most looking forward to with this upcoming year of, of Raptors basketball? I'm looking forward to not having to talk about Pascal Siakam rumors every single day, all day. (laughs) That would be a good start. Um, but, um, you, you mean in terms of basketball in general or, um specifically raptors it's your journey you take it wherever you want it to go well um before we even get to an nba season we have something special coming up it's going to be hosted on the other side of the world and i want to watch that and that would be the FIBA world cup i really want to see what we're going to do i think we have obviously some interesting uh departures from the team more recently but i think we have a squad that at least I would even go above in theory, the squad should be competitive mm-hmm. without question. Um, we should be, I'm not saying win, but we should be meddling. I think a lot of teams, like for example, even in the group of death with France, um, I, I think the reality is, is that we see that they're not setting their full squad. They're not full strength, so to speak. Still tough, but yeah. So I'm excited for that. I think, sure. I think that Canada, you you could, of course, you can quibble and there, especially with like the more, I know Canada is typically considered international relative to the United States, but it is, we're both sitting here very closely to, to basketball on this side of the, the ocean, I suppose. But there are a lot of teams that play together way more often than the Canadian and the United States of America teams. Um, the professional players who play for their home country versus like the NBA players who play for their home country. There's just a lot more synergy between those guys. But if you kind of wipe that away and you hope that Jordy Fernandez new coach, as opposed to Nick nurse who left, which was um, not completely unexpected, but happened pretty quickly and in a different manner than I thought it would. Um, you hope that they can kind of catch up on this energy. And then you look at the talent on the roster the Canadian team by rights meddling. That's like they they should be firmly in the thick of things. And also like you could probably make the case that it's the second most talented roster out there. And especially led by, you know, a first team all NBA guard in Shea Gilgis Alexander, 
it's like it's a very impressive team. I know like maybe there's some people who are thinking about Nemhard, Chris Boucher, stuff like that. And Zach Eady can't come to like the age 26 season quick enough where he's probably like a very, very impactful FIBA player. Um, there are questions about the front court. Kelly Olenek is probably the best player there. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm very excited to see what kind of basketball they play. Do you do you think uh, if you could compare it to how one team plays in the NBA, do you think there's a style that they'll try to match? Well, I'll tell you one thing. We're probably not going to be playing like international Raptors at ball anymore. I think <laughs> that's something that we we saw um, in terms of their sets internationally, where there's a lot of stagnation, not a lot of cuts, uh, a lot of ISO. Um, I'm I'm happy that we will kind of move away from that. Uh, I also want to give a real big shout out to someone that I did not expect to be there, which is Jamal Murray. So I'm really, really impressed. I, I mean, I knew that he wanted to play, but sometimes, you know, you for the good of your health and other mm-hmm. factors. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see what uh, I, I don't think it, they're going to play the Princeton offense, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to see what they do with their guard play. Um I'm also surprised Trey Lyles isn't on the team. I think we really could have used him. So, but I think we have just enough shooting on that team to, uh, you know, I I expect to see good good basketball. Yeah, I, I think so too. I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, you never know what to expect with the international play. Canada has underperformed quite often on the biggest stage relative to like NBA talent and stuff like that. But there has been more focus on it in recent years there's also been a little bit more buy-in from the nba players and the players who play professionally in like the euro league or overseas who help keep the you know keep the i guess the organization of canadian basketball afloat so that the nba players can come in and you know play on the biggest stage once they've earned their way there like big show to those guys too um, for anybody listening to this, if I can just recommend, Jonathan Chen does like a fantastic job covering Canadian basketball. He does it for Raptors Republic. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. Um, I'll link him in uh, the bio. As far as like NBA stuff, let's let's now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your journey, <laughs> your journey is over. I'm a domineering, uh, terrible overseer. Um, I want to hear what you think about the Raptors. So, what are you most looking forward to with the Raptors upcoming season? Um, I think the first month and a half is going to be the most interesting part of the season. You are going to see several things. You're going to see, will there's a lot of questions that will be answered very early on. For example, Scotty Barnes development throughout this summer. I mean, he wasn't selected to the U S select team as far as we know. Um, I, be- I believe that he decided not to go. He, he be- Okay. So regardless, he's not there. So he has time to work on his game. You're going to see a different Toronto Raptors. But I think while there are a lot of questions, some of the answers were in your podcast with uh, your, your man, Trey and Caitlin. I think you guys talked about several different options. I think worst case scenario you can always stagger it if mm-hmm. it all else fails. But I think you're going to see a lot of experimentation. And that's always exciting basketball. So um, for me, that's what I'm most excited to, to. Like, I have no idea what this offense is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are ways to, to make it work. Uh, but I'm not a brilliant mind. And I am not dedicating my life to becoming a basketball coach. So <laughs> I'm going to leave that up to uh, um, the man that you're going to be uh, t- sitting down and chopping it up <laughs> with one day about that. So um, I think the other thing, too, I think I'm excited to see where the Raptors end up in the standings because relative to... Their peer group, I think if you look at one through five, they probably got worse. But if you look at five through the back end Mm -hmm. of the roster, they got a lot better. And there's other teams that are not looking so good. I mean, Philly is a good example. I have no idea what what James Harden is going to look like if he's going to pull a Houston James Harden (laughs) to come into the training camp. Um, I think that the Brooklyn Nets, their overall 
um, record was inflated quite heavily for the first portion of their season. Um, I think assuming that Pascal Siakam is here, we are better than the Atlanta Hawks um, because they are meaningfully worse without John Collins, uh, forget the contract type stuff. So I think there are teams that we, and obviously I think the Washington Wizards are, you know. Pacers, stuff like that. There's a lot of teams that are in the back half of the, like the middle to the back half of the Eastern Conference that you could, in good faith, you can argue that the Raptors will be like a better team. Just talent alone, right? Sure. And and experience wise overall, I think, you know, so I, I'm excited for that. I'm, a, I'm also excited to see the different lineup versatility because I think while it's not perfect and it is a little bit, as they say, janky, I think there's some very versatile um, lineups that you could put on the floor that you couldn't put on the floor before. So I, I'm excited to see us play several different styles even perhaps. That's Yeah, that's a great point is that it, it, it you open yourself up to all types of different basketball. And while, yes, like myself, Trey, and Caitlin, um, as far as people to talk about the specifics of the Raptors offense, uh, I don't want to toot my own horn here too much, but you probably won't find many different people in media who are going to talk about it that in depth. And as far as people to talk about basketball in depth in general in media, you won't find anyone who will do it better than Caitlin Cooper. And Trey has been playing and watching basketball forever. We had a good conversation about what the Raptors offense might look like, the limitations and stuff like that. I still stand firmly in the, I would be pretty, pretty shocked if the Raptors are a top 20 half court offense. Now they haven't been a top 20 half court offense since 2020, 21. They, and they were like, that was a weird season. That's the Tampa season, of course. And Kyle Lowry was still on the team. Um, and Norman Powell was completely dominating half-court sets as one of the best tertiary scorers in the NBA. Pascal Siakam was way better than people thought, but he wasn't you know, shooting the three ball well, so people weren't paying attention to his steps made as a playmaking hub in the middle of the floor. Like The team was better offensively than people thought. It was the fall-off defensively that was pretty surprising. The thing I'm most looking forward to about the Raptors this year isn't necessarily a new thing, but it's something that they've been banking on with, you know, it's been, I guess, assumed as like the Nick Nurse playing style is you're going to be mobile, fast, long on defense. You're going to create a lot of turnovers. You're going to run out on, you know, in transition. And just because there's a coaching change doesn't mean that the Raptors won't do that anymore. Um, The best coaches, it's, it's why Greg Popovich went from the beautiful game Spurs to, you know, well, from Tim D- the Twin Towers to the beautiful game Spurs to having DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge and making an offense based out of like the mid-range more and still getting good stuff out of it. The way that the Raptors roster is constructed, there's no way Darko Rajkovic looks at this team and says, we're going to move completely away from causing turnovers and running out. They just have to keep leaning into that. And I think that the Raptors have the potential to be a top five defense. I think they have the potential to be top three in turnovers created like they have been the past couple of years. And I think that if everybody is very, very good in their execution of transition offense, which they haven't been, guys like Gary Trent Jr., for example, historically quite poor as far as decision making, a lot of times driving towards the rim where he's a bad finisher there. I think in like 2021-22, I think he only shot 50% on his transition layups. I think the average is closer to like 80%. Um, That's a massive drop-off. Fred Van Vliet, you're not going to have as many drives to the rim, which is uh, good, but you're also going to miss out on his gravity during runouts, which is bad. Um, OG Ananobi typically isn't that great at hitting, you know, threes in transition, but he's great at running out and getting to the rim. Scotty and Pascal are both obviously really, really incredible. Pascal more so in dribbling himself all the way there you know, navigating lanes. Scotty is one of the best transition passers in the whole of the NBA. There's like a bunch of stuff that can happen. And a little bit more than that, and I'm curious mostly what you think about this, the Raptors have an opportunity for the first time, well, sorry, they have an opportunity to hit on it for the first time in a couple of years. You know, biannual exception, mid-level exception, maybe one of these guys hits 
because they haven't. Be it Aaron Baines, Otto Porter Jr., Stanley Johnson. I know some people really like Stanley Johnson's tenure with the Raptors. Some people really like DeAndre Bembry. Like the Raptors just haven't had one of those, you know, take a flyer on a guy wins in a little while. And as you said, five through nine or five through 11, whatever it is, depending on how you know far down the line the Raptors play their rotation, there's an opportunity, once again, hope springs eternal, that be it like Jalen McDaniels or Dennis Schroeder, somebody has a better year than expected. Maybe Jalen McDaniels is the guy who he started working on corner threes, his trainer said this, as soon as he signed with the Raptors, and that was the Raptors, that's what they wanted him to do. They want that spacing. They want his utility on defense, of which there is a lot. And they, if he hits his threes, that's a big deal. He's not like his brother creating off of the bounce. And like Jaden is brilliant. He sh- I wish he didn't break his hand punching something. But as far as on the court, yeah. he's tremendous. But I think that that's the most exciting aspect of the Raptors season. Is like they're going to be a really good defense. The bones of their defense are super, super strong. Like we're talking – Midwestern chugging milk from, you know, little baby, you know, corn fed, whatever, actually too much corn in uh, the American diet. I'm sure you know a lot about that, but regardless, (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is the strong bones, you know, yes, Um, four eyed in the drinking water for strong teeth, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm curious what you think about the defense. Um, Yeah, I think the defense. So if we look at last year, and just Nick Nurse's tenure in general as a defensive coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a theory where I think as a personality, he took a lot from his mentor, Phil Jackson. And what I remember of Phil Jackson is he had his system offensively, and that was his system. It was like, okay, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Carmelo, can you be like that? Okay. <laughs> and over time, things caught up. The league caught up. I think that Nick Nurse was really, really good as a defensive coach, but his system required such a level of cerebralness, of being locked in. And not only that, but it required all of these crazy things plus energy and real, realistically, the best way to play that type of a system is you have to almost play it like a hockey lineup where you have short stints, which we did not play, <laughs> um, of guys just coming in and out of the lineup to do that. I, I think by going a little bit more conservative, just ever so slightly, I think Darko, one of the things that he talked about is that, you know, you take away the shortest three available first, which is almost counterintuitive to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I think letting the course geometry with the above break threes, you know, let those maybe not let them take whatever they want, but you know, that is lower down in priority. We have a team with quite a lot of talent, quite a lot of versatile defenders Smart defenders too, and I think we we got better in the off season. Um, I mean, I remember seeing it's interesting seeing your reactions change from when we first got Dennis to a couple weeks later hearing your reaction about Dennis, and it's like the first thing that I think of is not whether he starts or or whatever. I think of okay, he was in the playoffs. He's actually most of the time he's in the playoffs. But he was in the playoffs in the Western Conference Finals as one of the best point of attack defenders on that team, at least. Mm-hmm. That's not for nothing. Um, I'm I'm really like there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, the one person that I think always gets left out defensively is Coloco, and I think he's really really good defensively. Like I'm I'm very high on Coloco. Um, I'm excited to see what he does. I think his positioning is top notch. Um, I'm not going to compare him to any other player, um, in, 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 in his class or anything like that, but I, I think that he will, uh, he, it's a shame that we didn't get to see him at summer league, but I think he might shock people with how good he is. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, 
uh, on obviously lower sample size than others, but that that lineup with him in it and a bunch of other starters, I think Fred was not in that same lineup. So it was like him exchange for Fred basically was our best lineup. Yep. 140 possessions, right? That's the size sample. And yep. basically what they did was they, the reason why it was viable offensively is they, the, similar to the Funk Fest quartet lineups, they, um, they rebounded 40% of their own misses they caused a lot of turnovers on the other end and they were capable of making sure that other teams shot a very low percentage. A meaningful chunk of those 140 possessions came against, you know, in that, that two game span where the Raptors won by I think 73 or 76 points against the Hawks and then the Spurs. So they are a little bit wonky, but I had a great conversation with Christian in Vegas kind of about like what he's been working on and like, how he's trying to get like healthy and kind of get everything good for next season. Um, when I sat down to watch defensive film with him after watching just God a lot myself, um, he was great. Uh, and everybody I talked to, you know, coaches, teammates about his defense, they say he's a sponge. They say he's a super quick learner. And when you look at the film, like, yeah, he's a young big and he, struggles a lot at the back pedal and like maintaining space in the pick and roll for drop, but his arms extend to the moon. He has like really, really quick feet. Um, he slides extremely well, moves extremely well at that size. So the path to impact on defense was really inherent for him and it should be able to scale up. I think that he's going to continue to be a very impressive defensive player. And like once he nails down the subtleties of big man defense, which some of them will kind of escape his grasp until he's heavier, because just like it's not his fault. You're a young guy coming into the league with like fully grown men who have worked on their bodies for years and years and years. There's going to be like a gap there. Um, so he's going to have to try and get around that stuff for some time. But he's going to affect shots. He's going to like compete like hell on the glass, even if he's not going to dominate there. And um, defensively, he's going to provide a ton. Uh, he should be really, really interesting to watch this year. I don't know what his path to minutes is. I don't know what the hell the Raptors are doing with their front court. It is loaded the hell up. There's like, God is there guys who want minutes in that front court. It's insane. Um, whether it's Boucher, Pascal, Scotty, Jakob, Coloco, Achua, McDaniels, like it's that's and that's for two positions. Like if if you're playing any of those guys at the three, maybe, maybe precious and like Jalen, but God, I don't know, man. Um, it's probably pretty nasty as far as spacing, and they'd have to like really be stopping the ball <laughs> defensively. But yeah, I um I'm very excited for Coloco, not just like for next season, but as a guy, he's the guys love him. Um, he, he's extremely well liked in my conversations with him. I probably, as far as like guys on the team, have spent the most time talking to Coloco one on one. He's great, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for what he has to offer. And the Raptors is a defense. I don't think it'll be tied to Coloco's success for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was once again like a an impact guy. And so, you know, Coloco has a ton of struggles offensively. Like, you know, I know, I know you believe in the shot. I've seen you talk about that before. Um, oh, yeah, I, hope yeah. that, <laughs> I hope that does come around. He's, he's got pretty clean mechanics. It's slow, but if you're seven foot one, slow yes. doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it, it really doesn't matter. Like guys are going to let you shoot the shot. Um, even guys who shoot like 35, 36% from these big man positions, if you're out beyond the three-point line, like you're going to be able to shoot. So don't worry about the speed of it. It's not like you're doing hezzy tween pull-up. You know, nobody... I mean, if you could do that too, that'd be great. Sure, right? but sure. <laughs> like, he wears... I, I'm keeping expectations a little low. <laughs> yeah. He wears number 35. Kevin Durant was his favorite player. It'd just be Kevin Durant, sure. But um, <laughs> if he can hit shots, they're going to, they're going to let him shoot, both the yeah. Raptors and the opposing team. So he can scale up there if it comes along. He works hard. You never like shooting. A lot of players develop it that you wouldn't expect. Maybe that's what happens with him. And then like hands, maintaining space with his pick and roll partners. 
and just, you know, putting on weight so he can bang and finish down low, which he had a really, really bad year of doing last year. But that's I'm, I'm excited for Coloco. I think like uh, 33rd overall pick, a second rounder, the fact that he's already shown NBA skills from the big man position, super big deal. He's going to get the second and third contract. He's going to have a career to himself. And I don't know how high it scales up. I don't know, you know, if it's like a guy who is a, a nice bench big for years or if it's a guy who he becomes a starter and is considered, you know, a high level starter, whatever it ends up being, he's going to make money. He's going to be like a professional. And that's already a huge win for him and uh, the Raptors to select him. So, yeah, Coloco is, I think, a, a really great point of like, there's a lot of stuff happening on this Raptors roster, but you zoom in on that guy and that's really fun. Um, before the season starts, we should probably, we can do like a Coloco preview podcast, um, you and I together. The other thing sure. I want to talk about, yeah. a guy who is of specific interest to you, Pascal Siakam. He is, <laughs> and and you and I would agree, uh, we've agreed on this in the past. I think we'll continue to agree on this going into the future, but he's an uber talented player, extremely hard worker, a very successful NBA player who the Raptors have never prioritized in team building. You know, like the team around him has never reflected his best interests as a, as a player, I would say. And if somebody wants to say he's not good enough to dictate that, that's fine. Your opinion, people have different opinions on that, but I think it's a fact that he was never built around for the best of his game. He's cramped. He's in a little, you know, he's in Harry Potter's closet underneath the stairs trying to work out of there, do some well, wizardry. And you know what? It's it's so strange because so many people have said, I think you yourself have said, he is very much emblematic of Vision 6-9, right? Or positionless he's, basketball. He's Vision 6-9. Like, it's not Scotty. It's not OG. It, it was Pascal, for sure. But yet, we didn't build around that skill set. It's, it's very strange. And I, I have a, a theory about maybe they felt they were a little bit spoiled by his development, mm-hmm. which yes, I'm sure they they had their development plan, but these guys work very hard and don't always get the credit that they deserve for that. I think also OG, OG basically came into the league as like what he shot like 56% from fr- the free throw line in college, like, um, or, or not that far away from that. And now like, like look at him. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think that there are, is an upper limit to that development specifically with OG, but you know, when you when you have kind of hit on these guys in quick succession at some points in your career as a GM um, in terms of selection, um, maybe that kind of makes you kind of think I can teach all of these guys. Um, you know, everyone Hubris can be a Pascal is the CM. term. Hubris. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think you get spoiled by previous successes in your development program. I think. There was a, I'm, I've been trying to find this, I guess, interview that Masai did a long time ago where he talked about his philosophy on team building, on what, how he views a bench. And to me, from what I've been told by someone who has seen this interview, he talked about it as there, you have your five starters and then the bench almost like a separate thing similar to a soccer team. Now, that is interesting, but that may not be the best way to build a bench because you don't want to have too many quote-unquote projects on any one team. You don't want to have too many players trying to learn the same skill set on any one team, which is part of the reason why, number one, I think, we got very, very lucky that Grady was there. Number two, I think I'm more interested that if Grady wasn't two things, if Grady wasn't there, what happens? Number like beyond that, Kobe. It's like Kobe, they would have selected Kobe. I, I'm guessing. I'm yeah. guessing. I'm guessing, but I don't know. And then the I'm, other thing I'm is, fairly certain they would have selected Kobe. Okay. Okay. The other thing is that if they somehow originally moved up in the lottery to say fourth. I'm curious who they selected there. Yeah. Cause that's very interesting. Cause I don't know if the, that's where you're, you're, you're almost like spoiled for choice. You don't know what to do. So it, it's, 
there's some interesting things there. Um, I, I agree. I think that they really liked Kobe. Um, but yeah, back to the original thing with Pascal Siakam, I think not everyone can be him, right? Yeah. It's just, he's even now at times underappreciated. I think I worry about times, knock on wood, you know, he, if he's here, that he doesn't get injured. What happens to our offense? You know, I don't think that you can just put a bunch of shooters around Scotty Barnes like he's Ben Simmons because he doesn't dribble like Ben Simmons. Well, it's also that was never viable either. Like Ben no. plus shooters was people were saying that I was always like, are you you watch basketball? Why would that work? <laughs> you know, like it's not you can't just run like a spread pick and roll with Ben Simmons and have the defense respond to him like it's Damian Lillard. And like you're just spraying passes to all these shooters. You also don't get to have every possession run and transition where Ben is like pushing down the middle and the floor spreads for shooters. It's like who I don't know who said who thought that would be viable, but I don't know. I just I never identified with that as like good process. I mean, people look, I think people look at Luca and they're like, okay, Scotty Barnes could be a big, and I'm like, there is just so much more to like what's going on here. And even with Luca, I, I, I will be honest. I don't think that just uh Luca ball or Harden ball variations. I don't think it works. I don't think you can win like that unless you're literally like Michael Jordan and we don't have Michael Jordan. You'd have, you'd have to have, I mean, I the rules like the rules were also different. You couldn't double, you know, like the the rules and also yep. the, yes. the advent of the the three pointer wasn't really there. Um, I think we saw like the peak of heliocentrism, and it almost beat the greatest team of all time. And I don't think we ever get better than like the CP three James Harden Rockets version that almost beat the Warriors. I think that Rockets team was one of the best teams I've ever seen play. And that was like peak heliocentrism and expecting to find two guys better at it than CP3 and Harden with the role players they had around them. I just don't. Yeah, I wouldn't build a team with heliocentrism in mind at all. I mean, I'll I'll say this. I know this isn't the you you, you don't necessarily want to go focus on heliocentrism, but I'm really curious to see what would have happened had Chris Paul not gotten injured because. Oh, they win, dude. They win. Yeah. Uh, but why why do they win is it because of the talent or because they actually have a mid-range threat oh it's cb3 was like a great can't like a great counter yes not not only did were the like because if you play defense against that version of harden Mm -hmm. you are super super attuned to like the quirks and rhythms and pace that he plays with and even then he's still driving the offense forward but cp3 comes in and despite playing like it's also hype. It's centralized through him, of course, but mm-hmm. it's a lot different and it, it creates a different defensive response. And then, you know, at their best, they were carrying these staggered lineups and then like mixing and matching with the other on the floor. I think that team was like extremely talented. I was super surprised that they split them up. Um, obviously, there was personality stuff, but that team is one of the best teams I've ever seen play. I know people detest that play style. But um, yeah, okay. I I enjoy, <laughs> I really enjoyed watching those two go up against that Warriors team and almost do it. If CP3 was healthy, it's they win a championship like, for sure. And then heliocentrism would still probably be very pre- present today. But but failing at the same rate, I assume just because yes. just because something works once doesn't mean it works elsewhere, which we'll talk about later on. But anyway, Pascal. Yeah, so Pascal, I think uh, what you're probably more so going to is that like, okay, so Pascal can create an offense at some level, but there are limitations, um, Mm -hmm. whether it be because of roster construction, whether it be, as we talked about before, like we haven't really built a team around him. Um, I will say it's nice to actually see us at least make half pivots towards that. I think that they have, so I don't, as much as I've been critical of the front office at times with in my mind, the speed at which they make moves. Cause I think the NBA moves much faster now than it did when Masai oh, yeah. first took over. It just, <laughs> I don't, it's, it's hard to not be more aggressive and proactive, but. There are people suggesting that the Cavs trade Donovan Mitchell. 
right now. I I, I saw that and I'm like, he and just like, got there. He yeah, just, and so I don't I don't have an opinion down. really, but it's like that's how fast it moves now. Not even yeah. just in like fan expectation, but quick, quick league. You yes. know, Porzingis yes. is in Boston. Yes. You know, <laughs> like Marcus Smart is in Memphis. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think, um, you know, I think that there are ways to make it work for Pascal, but I think that there are ways, because he is your best in terms of, of the forwards. He's the best overall forward. He's, he probably dribbles, I'm, I think. By some measure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not saying he's like, breaking guys down like he's like LeBron or anything like that. But comparatively speaking to the other guys on our roster, he's one of the best dribblers. Um, his playmaking, um, I think Scotty has better reads, but in terms of his ability to create gravity to allow him to play make, mm-hmm. he's, that's, that's what you have. You have to work within what you have, right? Um, so I don't really see other options other than to maximize him. With that being said, we don't maximize him. I think that there's ways that you can get him into his spots without putting that much strain on, you know, either A, playing that many minutes. I think the last time he shot really well from three, the last three times that he shot really well from three, he didn't play like above 35 minutes or I think it's 35.8 minutes if you want to be particular about it. He wasn't playing 37, that's for sure. Um, I mean, there's times when his defense has become underrated, for example. I'm not, I know this isn't about the defense, but it's like, I remember that back-to-back in Miami where it's like, this guy is literally playing minutes on minutes on minutes on minutes. There's times when I would go, uh, you know, have a bathroom break, sip some water, because, you know, Pascal came out, benches in, come back. Pascal's back. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, so I think I think that there's ways that we can um, optimize him by simple things, having him cut off screens, uh, more 45 cuts from other players. I think staggering your lineups with your shooters specifically, not Scotty and Pascal, but staggering the shooters that you have on the floor. Um, I remember I was watching. I forget which team it was against, but it was Pascal. I think it was against the Bulls. And it was Pascal, and he ended up driving in, making the layup. And it's like, okay, well, why didn't he pass out? And I look at who's on the floor. Thad Young had screened for him. Okay, so that's one. You had Malachi on the right-hand side of the floor. On the other hand, you had OG Ananobi spacing the floor on the the left-hand side. And then I want to say it wasn't it wasn't even Barnes. It was someone else. It was Boucher. That's not an optimal lineup. That's also, you know, ironically, that's the Raptors' <laughs> attempt at spacing, by the way. Like, you, yeah. like, you know, like that's that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, that's that's really tough. And like this is not any shade against any of those players, but it's just like that's not optimal. And, and by, oh, by the way the defenders were heavily guarding for the pass to OG Ananobi. So shocker. He, that was his best option was to create something. You can't put a guy in positions where he has to be a a magician, like, you know, Siegfried and Roy every single night, night in and night out. It's just, it's not, it's not fair. It's not right. It's almost a disservice. Um, I will say it would be nice to get one other shooting forward on this line. (laughs) Which is the one, the one that's still the the major free agent, PJ uh, Washington. Uh, I don't know how we would get him, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, I mean, I I think that there's we don't have the perfect lineups, but we do have more shooting than we did before, right? Assuming I, that Otto, you can get forty games out of. If Otto is healthy, if Grady shoots it from the moment he steps into the league. <clears throat> I think that there is more shooting on the roster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I saw a comment that was saying like Gary entering the lineup uh, gives more shooting to the starting five than Fred. I don't agree with that because Fred's like shooting, you know, Caitlin Cooper, we referenced this piece, but it's on like percentages versus like how you're defended and your actual gravity. 
is that right. like Fred had the most has more shooting gravity than Gary. And mm-hmm. while Fred shot the three worse than Gary this past season, so the percentage is there, but that didn't affect the space that the other players had to work in. Like Fred being on the floor means that you're dragging a defender pretty far out. It means that you're going to, when you run pick and roll, the pull-up three is going to be respected. So you're going to have to be more aggressive at the point of attack, which means that you're going to have to tag the roll man, which opens up the weak side. Like that's more so what people are talking about as far as spacing and the Raptors, they're going to miss that. They're going to be better defensively, I think. Um, but there some aspects of Fred's game they're going to miss. Um, they'll miss some of it less if some of the players on the team improve measurably. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the. I know people are very touchy about the eulogies on Fred. I'm not trying to do that. Just yeah, talking no. about the basketball. Um, a couple things you mentioned that I wanted to highlight. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are an example of a team that emulated the Raptors prior to Pirtle style of defense and did so to pretty good effect in their first year. And a big key in that is that they had three guys play north of 30 minutes per game. One of those guys was above 35, barely. That was Shea. The other two were around 30 minutes a game. And they had like 12 different guys who were playing between like 10 and 22 minutes. Um, as you mentioned, for the defense, that hockey style, you have to have a bunch of guys willing to come in and plug in and play that style. And as I've talked about for, I don't know, like a, I talked about it the first year that the Raptors were playing that style, that there is a, a physical toll that the players are going to have. There's a burden for it. And then, you know, I guess the the pivot point for talking about it was referencing the, the Klopp Liverpool team that ran way more miles than any other Premier League team, was able to reach a high level of style for a couple of years, but eventually that graded on all the players and they were no longer to uphold that. I think that the Raptors went through something similar defensively. Pirtle being there um, allows them to do a lot of different things. And hopefully, well, we know it makes everybody's life easier on defense, less ground to cover, better, you know, returns as far as like contending shots at the rim without having to rotate all the way over. And then that helps Pascal Siakam, who has been traveling a lot of miles defensively. Offensively, though, I think that it's, it's very tough for Pascal to try and navigate as the four or the three with Scotty and Jakob right there. Um, Gary shoots the hell out of the ball. Good for him. He will help. OG shoots the hell out of the ball. Good for him. He will help. Grady, Otto, you hope for good things. Maybe Precious. You know, I I, I love Precious. I'll talk about him a lot in a mailbag episode I'm doing. But um, there's just not a lot of spacing. Pascal is a guy who thrives in the open floor and beating guys with his like unique movement style elite movement style and the way that he's worked on his handle to make sure that he can move where he wants on the floor reliably without getting picked and while pascal has been really really strong at dealing with double teams you know in the past two years uh, double teams are a lot more effective when there isn't a ton of shooting around them and how the raptors design the how darko designs the offense how Pat and John designed the offense, and they come James Wade. What those are? That's the head coach and the lead assistants. How they decide to orchestrate things and position guys on the floor looms large in how they help Pascal out there. But the inherent stuff will be a lot less inherent because there's less spacing on the floor. Um, I'm curious. Do you think there's a path for Pascal and Jakob to reclaim any of their? synergy of you know halcyon days benchmark past um to a smaller extent yeah i i think the challenge with it is that you're trying to grow a young man in scotty barnes and some of the advantages that we saw early or midway through last last year's season was his growth as a screener and a roller mm-hmm. i think that that is something that I'd like to see again, but that kind of contends a little bit with Jakob. Um, I also think, though, we didn't do a lot of high pick and roll with, you know, Siakam and Yak. Uh, it went we poorly, didn't... unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't go the best. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I'd still be interested to see um, what that would look like. 
I think the results with that would look better than Barnes yak pick and roll um, for some of the reasons that we outlined earlier, um, just in terms of, uh, or I guess we didn't outline it, sorry, uh, but in terms of Barnes' current ability to dribble into space um, and take we advantage also, of certain gaps. Just for anybody who wants to hear like a specific conversation on the Jakob um, Scotty pick and roll with Caitlin Cooper, we talked specifically about what type of defense he faced and the, the usual outcomes for that. Um, if anybody wants to listen to that, and I think it's time stamped on that episode. So, yeah, it is actually it's it's yeah, because you, you went through uh, uh, I think Caitlin talked specifically about, you know, Siakam on ball versus uh, Barnes on ball and what that would look like. Um, I think. You know, you can rec- you can get some of it. Maybe I know that they did a little bit of a three man game at times. Uh, the Charlotte games back to back stand out more, you know, prominently than others. Where it was, I think this is before Yak was there, but it was yeah in January. Um, yeah, so it was Gary Siakam and and Barnes. And it worked really well. You could use similar actions with, you know, insert, uh, you know, Scotty, uh, you know, in the place of Yak or vice versa. So that that's one thing that you can do. Um, I think the other thing for Yak, I'm not saying that he can be Brooke Lopez. Um, that would be nice, but I'm not expecting that. But he did seem to show some sort of touch in the mid-range, in the short mid-range, like within 12 feet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, specifically with his floater and like, I think it was a uh, kind of like a hook shot. I- I'd like yeah. to see them see what kind of efficiency they can get out of that. Even that helps, you know, turn a sliver into a, you know, an, a crack. That's, yeah, I think that's- that could be. That's definitely the Raptors are going to shoot a lot of short mid range shots, like they yeah. did last year. They did the year before. You look at the yeah. personnel on the roster; they they all want to get all the way to the rim, but because of the spacing, they can't get all the way to the rim. So where do they settle between eight? Well, between like in in the best case scenarios, you're in that I don't know five to eight foot range. In the worst, you're in that nine to nine to fourteen or something like that. The, the efficiency right. dips, but um, Jakob definitely has like a, a capable push shot um, and, and can hit the hooks as well. But those are more so in like the offensive rebound, put it back up scenario. Um, short rolling, um, catching on a cut when somebody's coming baseline and he's like doing the semi-circle cut to the front of the rim because the team protects the baseline because that way you can protect dunker spot and the corner at the same time. That semi-circle cut is really good. Um, Jakob has that down pat, and he can hit those little push shots. That stuff's all good, but as far as like traditional spacing, uh, Brooke Lopez, as, as you said, yeah. hey, hey, <laughs> it's not there, not in the cards. It, it, it'd be nice. It'd be nice, but uh, I'm not expecting it. No. Um, <laughs> favorite style of team building? I just kind of we won't we won't go on this too long, but yeah, I'm I know you think about like the theory of basketball all the time. You talk about like hyper specific stuff, which I love, of course, but also kind of stepping out macro league trends. Like, hey, what are you trying to build a team? What team looks best to you when you like? Obviously, now people are going to say, well, the Nuggets. That's how you build a team. You, <laughs> yes. And then the year before, it's like, well, you build a team with a you know a high pick and roll threat that looks like Steph Curry. And, you know, I talked to guys at Summer League, you know, I guess like team personnel and stuff. And I asked them about this. And a lot of people said how hard it is to win with a small guard leading. And that Steph is like the, you know, the counter to that. But that doesn't create the rule. I'm, I'm curious where you sit on kind of like, how, how do you want to see a team be built? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off your last point before going into team building specifically where I agree it's very challenging for small guards to be successful and be the lead dog in this in this league um I mean and you have to either shoot like Steph or pass like Isaiah Thomas level or you know there's uh, a couple more examples and be like hyper 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 athletic but yet be able to have a body that will hold up and withstand certain punishments that it is very, very, very difficult to, um, 
not you can make it you can make a career right with you'll uh, make a ton uh, of money sure yeah with an eric bledsoe starter pack right <laughs> you know um but at the same time you know to be a number one the number one option which i think is a, a whole conversation for another i think it's not quite what people think it is especially um, in these days yeah i'm like you uh, how about you build like a team properly first before you talk about like is said team, whatever it is, doesn't have to be the Raptors is said team built to maximize your best player. And then can that, then now that we've done that is the best player now optimized. And if they are now, are they, you know, can you win? I think that's kind of. That's your hierarchy. Yes. Um, Cause otherwise it's like, I mean, could could Scotty Barnes win if you flipped him with LeBron? Probably not, because he's not LeBron. It's I mean I'm 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 obviously being you know yeah reductive with it, but it's it's just they're different they're different players. I don't expect one to play like the other. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the first thing is that unless you have say you think it's scooped right, unless sure. you have scooped hypothetically right, you can't i wouldn't start with guards i think the other thing i should actually ask you when you say team building do you mean like how would you allocate money or or like no i i think okay because i'm like i could go that no no i (laughs) like if you want to listen to like money allocation like the nate duncan podcast is yes yeah Yeah. because i'm like we we could turn it to that but i don't think i don't think people are that interested in that kind of thing um I think you need to prioritize wings in this league um, for better or for worse. You need like five of them, six, nine ish, maybe not that many. Um, although if you have that many, at least you can <laughs> trade out of a, of a strength. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not, not that many, not an obsession. Uh, but I think you need at least uh, a couple. I think first and foremost, focus on having as many two way players that you can. Now, you can have the debate another day whether you want there to be a prioritization on offense or defense, but you need as many two-way players. And I mean at least a, uh, at least slightly above average on both ends of the floor. Yep. I think it's it's an it is a must in today's NBA to um, you know, it's I think it was Bob Myers that said that like the playoffs is a different sport, basically. It's like to really go far, you need to have that. Um, I think you need to, we've, we've seen it now several years in a row. You need to have a deep team. So you need to have a team that is skilled enough that can actually, and, and durable enough to be able to make it through the slog of the playoffs and an 82 game season. That's a lot. Like Kevin Herter that, wasn't a killer during the playoffs. No, he wasn't. But having 63% true shooting on 16 points per game for 82, you're going to win some more games because of that. Like Malik Monk obviously was <clears throat> the dude for them, and he was great during the regular season. And I yes. I love Malik Monk's game. He's brilliant. But would have been nice if we could uh, oh, last three years. Hey, that would have been great. Um, but – to, to see a guy like Kevin Herter, who, yes, he struggled in the playoffs and like the physicality changed his game a little bit on both ends of the court. But in the 82 games, having just like hyper efficiency and a guy who could work in all the actions with, you know, the hub of your offense. That's a big deal. Super big deal. I think on offense, you need to really like and you can do this in stages when you're team building. But I think long term, you need to find one very dynamic guard creator who can penetrate to the rim. I think it's just mm-hmm. very difficult to win without it. It's it just, you, you have to have that. It's not just getting to the rim, but it's also being able to convert at the rim too. Um, you, you, you need that. I, can you get it from a forward talent? It is possible, but it's unless that, you know, like you, you really need that guard. Guards make different types of passes, man. Like they really, really make different types of passes. Or, organizing offense, Pascal was, I think, a really underrated organizer of offense for what it's worth. But guards make different passes. I think, yeah, guards still they they're very special in my heart. I think like Just, there's, yeah, there's a, there's an attempt to move away from them, 
but they just keep popping up like, hey, you really need a good guard. Yes. Um, And then I think in just overall, I think the center position has changed. And I think what I would probably say is that you probably need two different types of centers. Right. So they don't have to be the highest. You don't necessarily need a top 10 center, but you want if you can't get a top 10 center, whatever that means, you want two centers that can play two different styles. So you'd want like someone, for example, that could be a rim running center. You want someone who can spread the floor. If you have those two things or you can develop those two things. Then I think, again, I, I'm, I'm purely thinking of like playoff settings. The more dynamic that you can be and the more of a diversified skill set that you can put in front of your opponent, the more chess moves that you can make. So if I'm giving my coach, whatever the coach may be, bad or good, if I give them more a, a bigger toolbox with more resources in that toolbox and they can reach in and try different things, that's a lot easier because then you have more chess moves. You know, I find that the less if you can't switch to different styles on offense or on defense and you're just stuck with this, but you're like, well, we're just going to try to maximize this. You can, you can win. You can win. You can definitely win, but it's riskier. Yeah. This it's a lot was, um, that's a great point. This was, you can only do that. You can only marry yourself to one style if it's um, like completely unstoppable. The nuggets are like, they're not the best example because they're very like a multivariate approach for sure. A lot of it goes through Jokic, but the nuggets are really unstoppable because of the players around Jokic and Jokic is a guy like he will get the advantage. I talked about this with Curly on his podcast and it's the reason why I like, I don't know. I was like, yeah, the nuggets are winning the championship. Easy peasy. Um, but it's because like Jokic, you'll never be able to move him away from finding the advantage on the floor. And the Nuggets have a ton of players who will cut to the advantage or shoot with the advantage. And they also have Jamal Murray, who is, you know, outside of Steph, like the best off-balance shot maker who can like sprint and backpedal around Jokic. And like, you know, it's it, it's a brilliant team, but you can't just build a team like, we're going to do this. The sk- Sometimes the skill set emerges and then you build around that. But other times you have to, because how often do you get like one of the top 50 players of all time falls onto your team? It's not that common and certainly not for a lot of franchises who don't get them in free agency. So how do you, what do you start building? And I think you highlighted some of the great building boxes. Like you need a wing who can do, you need a two way wing, like at the very least, if you have a couple of them, great. That's why so many teams won't pass and OG for what it's worth. And God, do you need a guard? paint touches the guard has to be able to shoot a bit gotta be able to play make a bit and maybe they don't scale to be your number one option but they need to be two or three and they got to be able to get paint touches and they got to finish plays and like that is so 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 important the the center position it's tough a lot of the like the celtics obviously not you could make the case that horford gives you like the approximate impact of like a top 10 center um, I'm sure they would make that case. Some fans would make that case, but um, good bigs are on good teams. It just keeps trending that way. And I don't know if that's like the, you know, a chicken or the egg, like bigs look better when they're on good teams and bigs look really bad when they're on bad teams. Um, and you can salvage high impact out of low cost bigs, which I think is somewhat proven, but man, um, it's tough to be in the middle of the big man market, I think, as far as team building, for sure. Um, you have to make sure you get a good one, of course. If you don't have a good big, toast. Absolutely cooked. But yeah, the, the building blocks you highlighted are definitely things I agree with. Um, we'll have to do a podcast where we like fully tread it out. But Can I add one other thing? Yeah, yeah, of course. Really simple. I think whether it is that guard or that wing, you need at least at least... Ideally, um, one really good mid-range talent and one halfway decent mid-range talent. Sure. The mid-range has been, you know, it's 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 been the forgotten art, but it wins championships. It's the home There's of never, stars. 
<laughs> like, like it is the home of stars. And I think we've gone away from it. Um, I mean, I, I, or tried to go away from it. I think we've tried to optimize things. Uh, this is some of the downsides of analytics where it's just like, oh, threes and layups, you know, the, the Jason Tatum shot chart, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, you look at a shot chart, it's like threes and layups. You watch him step the step back three. But again, we just talked earlier in the podcast. It's like, you can't, you can't win with threes and layups. You can get close. No one's done it yet. Maybe someone will do it. I think um, pull up mid range. I'm yes. all in on as far as I think that the analytics movement did a really great thing by telling guys like step out. I have this, I have this piece I'm doing like retrospectives on a bunch of some of my favorite role players from the, uh, the Raptors history or whatever. And I'm looking at Terrence Ross's first big game and how it kind of, you know, foreshadowed everything he was going to be good at, which isn't that common for players. You know, a lot of like DeMar DeRozan's first big game, is going to look a lot different than, you know, a big game last season. But Terrence Ross, his first big game as a rookie, looked a lot like some of his best games outside of the, the 51-point performance, of course. But, yeah, um, he came off of a pin down. The defender shoots the gap, and he backtracks, not by the three-point line with that tidy, tidy footwork, but a stab step pushes back to about 19 feet. That's... No, like a coach today is going to say, get behind the line. And like, right. that's, that's the correct decision. But as far as a defense funneling you downhill and saying like, you're 14 feet away, can you do it? You got to have somebody to do it. And if you don't, you do. you're in, you're in, you're in trouble, man. Like they'll keep funneling you there. It's bad news. Yeah. Big show, D'Angelo Russell. Yes. It, like he'll have a game every once in a while where our team is like, Pushing him down, he scores twenty-seven points, and you're like, "How the hell did he do this?" And so, well, made shots in the mid-range. Yeah, I love some mid-range shot making. I don't take them that much in my own game, but um, I'm a threes and layups type of guy as well. But um, how about how about you? How many? How many do you? Are, is the mid-range big? Is it a large presence in your own game? I would say that yes, it became part of my game. I am. Uh, I was never good at shooting from the outside, but I was fast and I could out beat and out. Uh, <clears throat> you attack the top foot, you catch, put a couple dribbles down. Is that the case? Let me put it this way. I, I like making the play. I might like making the right play. Right. Um, defensively. I was good. I think rebounding wise positioning. Great. I'm shorter, but I have a 40, I think at one point it was measured at 47 inches. You know, as I, you know, kind of got a little bit lazier, it's probably like four, 40 inches, I should say now. But people don't expect that. So that's, I, I would do the little things. I'm a little things king. Little things king. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> if I can say anything for anybody who enjoyed this little things king, I got to tell you. There's a ton of stuff out there. I know there's a lot of competing work that people, you know, trying to be heard, trying to produce content, all that kind of stuff. Um, Kenyon's is great. And um, I I will co-sign that as much as I possibly can. I enjoy Kenyon's work. And as far as a guy who is like talking consistently about the Raptors, it, it doesn't get much better. So, well, and the NBA basketball in general. So Kenyon... Um, for anybody who wants to um, go check him out, you can go to Twitter, hopeful underscore TTF underscore Maple. You will find his account there, Basketball Rewind on YouTube. Um, it'll all be linked, all the good stuff. Kenyon, any parting shots? Uh, well, I was I was going to ask you a quick question, which is what is success this year hmm. for you? What does that mean? What does that look like? Success this year is uh, I don't, as far as like win loss, I could care less. Uh, I think success this year is that Scotty has a big year defensively, and you know Gary Trent Jr. makes a couple steps as a playmaker, and um, Grady shoots the hell out of the ball. 
and, and precious man if precious takes a step i'll have lots to say about that but as far as like the known commodities on the team i think they'll be good but i think more than anything i'd love to see scotty have like a big defensive year that would be awesome everyone wants the initiation stuff i get it but um scotty is so good like he was a positive impact player last year because he makes great reads he rebounds the hell out of the ball he can score he in can isolation be a player. yeah he can score in isolation in a pinch he like he'll slide in and do a bunch of positive things on the floor. If he became like a demon on the defensive end, which he isn't yet, that would be extremely meaningful. So I know everybody wants the offense, but the Raptors could be a top five defense this year. And if Scotty rocks on that end, that's a big deal. That would be awesome. Yes, and then for OG because he, he you you seem to have a known commodity left, left for OG. Left. Okay. Like he's okay. 26, right? You know, I um, agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I want all does. the best things for OG. I want him to get a big, big bag. I want him to shoot the hell out of the ball. Maybe this is the first year where he'll have a decent volume and percentage as far as like pull ups. I hope that for him. But he's so good at so many things. He's one of the best, you know, wings, um, like two way wings in the NBA. He'll be that if he gets any better. I mean, that's awesome, but that's hard to project. I've put a lot of work and film into looking at what OG can scale up, and it's been a tough go as far as like taking yes. that next step. But I mean, hell yeah, if he does it. I step. think he could be more refined, but I think we've kind of seen in terms of how the, the process of him, I think we're close to the peak, I would say. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I do think uh, also, uh, you know, one of my parting shots is that I think NBA 2K has ruined people's uh, viewing of uh, of basketball a little bit. I think people are obsessed over uh, when a player hits 30. And I, I swear, I I could be wrong, but I think it's because the 2K... Now, I, I haven't gone through the newest 2K as in depth, but I know the old 2Ks used to have a potential tap. And it mm. stopped when you hit age 30. And that was it. And then you start declining literally the next year. And I'm like, if a player takes care of their body and maybe if that player also hasn't played AAU and destroyed their body at at such a young age, uh, maybe just maybe that player, and I'm not just talking about Pascal Siakam, apply it to whoever you want. Like I think that the runway these days, especially with modern science is a lot more than what we thought it was. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really is something that I think people need to reconsider. Um, you know, when I say peak, I'm not saying that a guy is going to continue Im- improving. I'm not expecting for, you know, X player to look like, you know, Kevin Durant in their 31st year. <laughs> Although it'd be nice, um, you know, when they didn't before. But yeah, so um, I- I'm excited for this year. And I just really hope that Raptors fans start getting more excited about this year. I think a lot of people are very down on this year. And I I agree with you. I don't think... I think it it comes down to process. This team, I think, will look a lot more happier <laughs> and more enjoyable to watch, regardless of whatever funky style that they play. Um, and so that that's what I'm personally, you know, I'm excited for. I, for sure. I hope they I hope they have that synergy. I hope that the I hope that the guys are in a better mood most of the time. I hope that. I hope that they enjoy the work. Yeah, I hope they enjoy (laughs) the brand of basketball that they play. That would be cool. That would be good. And um, last year, being the way that it was, doesn't fall on one guy's shoulders. There was organization, coaching staff, player personnel. There's a lot of um, curmudgeonly behavior. So yes, that's all I'll (laughs) say. But Kenyon, thank you so much for coming on, listener. Thank you for tuning in with us. I just hope you have the best day, uh, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.